Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Horror Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Nelly, and with me tonight is Michael Darwin. Hi, how you doing? Ah, great. Uh, glad to uh, have you on board for this tonight. So we are going to be uh, looking at our new episode for the evening. This is going to be on our top 10 horror icons. So uh, this is going to be a, a contentious one. This is probably going to be one of the uh, you know more hotly debated uh, topics. But uh, since this was a subject you chose, let's uh, find out a little bit about what uh, we're going to be doing here tonight. Yes, yeah, so um, you would put out a call looking for uh, suggestions for episodes and for uh, people interested in co-hosting. Uh, I've, I've certainly listened to a number of episodes in the past, and uh, I didn't have anything in front of me to look over everything that you've covered so far, uh, which I'm sh- which has been a lot. What did this? You've done thirty something. Uh, by the time this comes out, I will have been over forty. Yeah, okay, yeah, so the top 10 horror deaths uh, was the most recent one that I have on my my, my download. Um, so, yeah, so that's a lot of topics to cover. Um, there's not a whole lot of variety in uh, in horror, but I don't remember you doing uh, an episode about horror icons. And I've, I don't know, personally, I always like kind of iconography, maybe because my father was involved in, uh, in advertising and commercial editing, but, but just... And, and horror, I think, has more iconic figures than probably any other genre of entertainment that I can think of. Um, you know, especially when you're dealing with characters. And so I suggested that, and then we we quickly discussed, well, is it going to be characters or people? Right? Because certainly if yeah. you look at people, you could have, like, you know, Stephen King and Boris Karloff and Vincent Price, that's one thing. And then you get your your characters, your 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 various slashers and monsters and whatnot. You know, uh final girls and scream queens and, and the rest. And um that's something else. And we decided to do the do characters, which is gonna make this a very different list because I can tell you if we were doing um because uh, it's weird because there's some people like say uh, Robert Englund, right? Robert Englund is a horror icon who also has a very iconic horror character in Freddy Krueger. But on the other hand, I would say um, somebody like Vincent Price is absolutely a horror icon, but I don't know that he has a single iconic character. Vincent yeah. Price is is the character. You know, Stephen King is an icon himself, and um, despite doing cameos in his movies, or H.P. Lovecraft or Edgar Allan Poe. They're, they, they don't have characters. They're, they're just themselves. Um, and I'll actually go the other way and say somebody like um, Anthony Hopkins, I never really think of as a horror icon, although Hannibal Lecter obviously is. That's really his only tangible connection to horror uh, at that and playing you know, Van Helsing in the one episode of, uh, or one uh, Dracula film. You know, other than that, people don't think of Anthony Hopkins as a horror guy, right? Right, yeah, that's not necessarily uh, one of the the first things that comes to my mind when I think of him. So, um, you know, Keanu Reeves is iconic, but nobody wants to remember him in Dracula either. Um, so, and then, of course, as I was making my list, and I came up with my list, most of my list pretty quickly, and then I lost it, and I had to rewrite it. 
Um, it became a question of debating two factors. Who are my favorite horror icons? And who is who are the most compared to who are the biggest horror icons? Um, and to me, and that's two different weights. And I kind of had to juggle that a little bit in coming up with my top 10. I also maybe cheated a little bit, leaving some off so that it's not overly weighted towards one end or one era of the horror genre. Um, because I think for something like this, nostalgia is just going to play a huge factor. Um, I'm not going to have the same warm, fuzzy feelings, say, for um, Jigsaw. You know, even though I like the Saw films and I like Jigsaw, it doesn't have the same resonance for me because I didn't grow up with Jigsaw. You know, by the time the first Saw film came out, I was already in my 30s. Um, just, just for backgrounds purposes, I'm 52 years old. I was born in 1970. Um, so I mostly grew up on the Universal Horror monsters and then the 80s 70s and 80s horror films you know so nostalgia uh, wise that's kind of where my bread and butter where where's your interest in the the horror icons or which are the ones that you kind of so i'm kind of in in a weird middle ground um i didn't discover the genre until i was in my mid-teens which was the late 90s, early 2000s. But I wasn't a fan of the stuff, the, the content that was coming out at the time. I was much more 50s, 60s, 70s. Because oh. I, yeah, because I was much more a fan of, of like the, the monster movies. Um, I was much more of a Godzilla, King Kong. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was more of like in that kind of a school. And so it was much more like I was I, I was more familiar with Hammer than I was with the screen films uh, by the time I was in high school. So I was um, I, I'm kind of like the, the weird kind of uh, figure where I I don't have a lot of love and nostalgia for like the Halloween films or a lot of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, but I, I'm kind of like right in that age where a lot of the people, you know, like the modern crop of people that you would see as filmmakers, I'm like right around their age. I'm, you know, late thirties. So yeah, I, I would probably veer closer to you in that regard of your taste because I, you know, I grew up on like the universals and hammers and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I absolutely love Vincent Price and, you know, Karloff and Lee and uh, Cushing and, you know, that that's like my crop of people that I grew yep. up with as well. So, yeah, I, I, I had the same uh, struggles that you did. And I mean, we kind of diluted to this before we got on the air in, you know, our, our chat and all that about, you know, your personal attachment to something versus the historical importance of the figure to the genre. And that's kind of where a lot of my, a lot of where my list is, is that it, it kind of straddles both lines without necessarily veering t- one towards the other. I don't, I don't have like a, a fully nostalgic list, but I don't also have a 
fully, you know, this is just, you know, like an objective, okay, you know, you, you've done 10 films, you've, you've got like, you know, your face on thousands of lunchboxes, you know, posters and, you know, mini cards and stuff like that. Like, you know, okay, you're my number one. Like, I, I, I kind of have to, you know, my, I, I did uh, a mixture of both. So it was a little bit more of an objective look at it, but I, I, I took the same approach um, somewhat with how I structured everything. So, yeah, and it's um, it's interesting because I have this debate. It's easy, um, for us to be like to up our own butts in, as genre fans, in terms of we know the genre really well, um, or at least like to think we do. And you know what's iconic to us isn't necessarily iconic to others. And like my wife is an avid poker player, and she will often mention names of poker players. I have no idea who they are. And she's surprised. I don't know who they are. It's like, well, cause I don't pay attention to the poker scene. You know, I don't know who the celebrity poker players are. And so when, uh, on the dark discussions podcast on, on occasion, we'll talk about, um, you know, how big an actor or actress or celebrity is. And it's, and my standard is always, does my mother know who they are? Then they're, they're, they're probably not that big. Right. You know, from, right. uh, it, you know, if, if you mentioned to a horror fan, yeah, they may know who Tiffany Shepis is. You know, it's like, but my mother doesn't. You know, it, do you see it in right. in Spirit of Halloween as a costume? Then maybe it's not that big a character. But there are also certainly things like, you know, Ash from Evil Dead is huge in the horror circuit, even if he doesn't have the same presence outside of right. the genre fans. Just because so, I... Right, just because I can rattle off 10 films starring Paul Nashy doesn't mean that I go up to a, a random Joe Schmo at a convention who's wearing a Terrifier t-shirt and ask him the same thing. You know, I'm going to get the same kind of response where I can, you know, I, I can do that myself. But yet the, the average Joe on the fan, the street can't do that. Absolutely. And and honestly, it, it, I could probably write a longer list. I can easily write a longer list of people I probably would have or characters I would have liked to put in here. That didn't make the list. Um, like I can tell you up front, you mentioned the the, the kaiju films uh, and the giant monster films. I, I kind of love them as a blanket because um, I you know grew up watching the uh, the 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 Showa era uh, mm -hmm. of the Godzilla films, and and King Kong is one of my all time favorite, the original thirty three version. And I, I couldn't, I can't. You know, I just I can't pick one. I I just want them all. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and and I often when I'm podcasting, we'll just have some random giant monster movie running in the background, just because I like to watch monsters destroying things. Um, now I don't need to have the sound on for that. No, same here. Um, yeah, I, I can replay any of those films in my head as necessary. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the the struggle between what you like just because that's the scene you grew up in versus what you think the average Joe on the street who, you know, maybe you're they're you know, wearing like an art the clown or um, what's the the other new one that came out? Um, Sam from Halloween, just because they're wearing yes. a T-shirt like that doesn't mean that they're going to be, you know, aware of something that you know that 
because you've been around a little bit longer, you're much more familiar with, you know, their work, their career and their legacy that is a little bit under the radar for something that, you know, this average person that's just getting into it may not be completely aware of. Right. And I, um, and it's also, again, generationally, it's, it's a big deal because uh, I grew up watching the, the Hammer films on, I think, Channel 5 in New York. Um, I haven't watched many of them in a long, long time. Uh, but so obviously I have a lot of affection for Cushing and Lee. Um, but I'm sure my students would know who they are. There's a, a running joke on um, on the Dark Discussions podcast because one of my students, I had a screensaver up and the screensaver would run through um, classic movie posters, horror movie posters, which I had for my screensaver for Halloween. And a movie poster comes up and a student asks me, uh, a high school student, just uh, what's a Hitchcock? <laughs> and, you know, that's and to anybody who's a film fan, that's practically sacrilege. Uh, but, um, but you never know. Um, you know, it's it's it is a generational thing. The, the, the amount of content that has been dumped uh, uh or produced, dumped, kind of derogatory, just been produced in, in you know, my 50 years since I've been on Earth, dwarfs what had been released in the, the 50 years pre previously, right? There's just so much for people to, to keep track of. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's a part of it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying, obviously, somebody's not on the list. It's not that I don't, I don't love them. Um, I did not, you know, there's one of the characters I've mentioned I, is not on my list. Um, but really could have been in his character I love, and it just didn't happen to hit my top 10. You know, this is 52 years of watching. Uh, and actually, I'm a multifaceted nerd, and I realize the thing that unites them all is that whether it's fantasy or horror or science fiction, it's the fact that they all have monsters in it, that the monsters are my love. They make up most of my my list, or at least the villains do. Um, there's a lot there you know, 50 years worth of watching those movies and TV shows and, and, and other things. So, uh, so yeah, so it's going to be interesting. We'd be curious to see where your list is, where my list is and how they match up. Yeah. Well, uh, with that said, I think this is as uh, good a place as any to, uh, start off with. So, um, if you don't mind, I'll go, uh, number one. Um, so this one's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat for me just because of, uh, uh, a few recent um, uh, events that have taken place. Um, I'm hoping that uh, my love for this will uh, rise over uh, time. But um, for my number 10, I went with Ghostface, uh, the killer from the Scream series. Um, had we done this before uh, Scream 5 came out, um, I probably would have had him a little bit higher just because, uh, like I said, I, I kind of grew up like late 90s, even though I wasn't really like truly watching the stuff that came out. I was like aware of it just because that was you know, the, the cultural zeitgeist and the, the genre at the time. So uh, I, I came out right around like the time Scream 3 was uh, due to be released. So that was like really when I was really kind of hitting it, like the late 90s, 2000s. And seeing how he kind of exploded and became like the poster child for like the late 90s, early 2000s, like the, the teen horror crowd, responsible for getting a, a lot of people into the genre and you know being like the, the central figure the, the central focus of one of the biggest uh, franchises in the in the genre's history 
kickstarting, you know, like a whole wave of imitators because, you know, there was an entire series of films produced, not just around him, but because of him. And just, you know, seeing how he's evolved over time, seeing how multiple people have taken to him and like gravitated to the character as like one of the big icons of the genre. Uh, to me, I kind of took all of that into account. Plus, you know, like I said, my own personal uh, experience and exposure with him. Um, my number 10 is Ghostface. Yeah, I love Scream. Uh, and I enjoy most of the other sequels. Um, you know, I think anytime you're, you're judging a franchise, which is a whole other topic, but uh, you can't always hold it to the number one film. You know, it's I, I, I like the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, but, you know, it still has Freddy's Dead in there. Um, I, I think as a, as a whole, if you look at the block, uh, whatever you think of the individual films, I'm not a big fan of three, but I think it actually has maintained its quality better than almost than most other horror franchises. Um, I don't think there was a like a really putrid entry the way, you know, Halloween and Friday and Nightmare had. Um, and it goes face it's interest and it's interesting, you know, so you're in your late thirties. This came out when I was like twenty five. And so I'm by that point I'm a responsible adult with a real job and everything. And um so it's weird when you see, but also satisfying when you see what is a quote unquote new film to you, you know, become a classic and you know, I see kids grow up. I see kids parade in the hallway uh, when the, the elementary school kids are doing their Halloween parade dressed up in ghost face masks. Um, the same way that I would have in a Frankenstein mask, uh, you know, 30 years earlier. And that it's a character that has hit the pantheon in that manner and has, and has earned his place as one of the great horror icons. So yeah, it's a good choice. Uh, didn't make my list, but very much could have. All right, I like that. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. So uh, moving on to your number 10. All right. So my number 10, and I, I was debating a lot of this. In a, my first couple on this list are kind of um, my favorites representing a certain archetype. And, uh, you know, being a, a chemistry teacher, I have a science background, biology background. Uh, I've always had an affection for the mad scientists. And there's no shortage of mad scientists in, in horror films. And... I, I went, now this is, I may be stealing a base here because this is, uh, you could debate whether or not this is actually a horror film, but of all the mad scientists out there, and there's a lot of them, there's a lot of great ones out there, like Herbert West is is one that springs to mind. Uh, I don't think there's anyone better than Dr. Frankenstein. Uh, and yet when I thought about it, my actual favorite version of Dr. Frankenstein is not in fact Dr. Frank Frankenstein, but Dr. Frankenstein from Young Frankenstein. Um, played by Gene Wilder, and I still think it's a brilliant comedic performance. He's still a mad scientist in in, in all ways that matter. Um, and he's he's kind of just, and I actually have a a Funko of him standing on my my desk at work. Uh, and so just to represent all the mad scientists out there, but as my personal favorite of all the mad scientists, I got to go with Gene Wilder's uh, Victor von Frankenstein. Nice. Uh, yeah, that, that's not a bad choice at all. Uh, I I love Young Frankenstein. It's probably one of my favorite comedies of all time, if not may, maybe my favorite. Um, probably because I look at it more as a comedy, I wouldn't think of Frankenstein 
but uh, Frankenstein, uh, you know, representing mad doctors and scientists in general, uh, I I don't have too much of an issue with that. That's my personal thing is that I, I look at Frankenstein more as a comedy than genre film. But uh, in terms of, uh, you know, like you said, representing, you know, the, the concept of mad doctors as a whole, uh, I, I, I like where that's that's not a bad choice at all. Yeah. And, you know, I like. um it's weird. Horror is like one of the only movies where people really debate the genre. Um, nobody says it's not an action movie. You know, it's like, where there are guns, where people shot or stabbed. It's an action film. Um, and you look at the breadth of the horror genre and, you know, the on-running joke that the difference between horror and thriller is that thrillers get nominated for awards. Um it's it's a hard thing to nail down and i i kind of default to is it something that would appeal to a horror fan and certainly there's a whole subgenre of horror comedies and i think that you kind of have a sliding scale of like from one to ten you know of how much horror and how much comedy and like at and on one extreme end you'd have like young frankenstein and on the other extreme end you'd have like seven you know it's just as how much humor is there and how much horror is there and somewhere in the middle might be i don't know ashford's uh Army of Darkness. Um, but like I said, so to me, it, it kind of like that and Beetlejuice and, and um, Ghostbusters, even though they're they're much more comedies. I think they still appeal to horror fans, so I have no problem with it kind of putting in there. But if if Victor Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein bothers you being on the list, then substitute in uh, Peter Cushing's, Cushing's Dr. Frankenstein uh, instead. And and that'll that'll be perfectly fine. Uh, well, um, well, I'll just say this, but uh, to regard for your thing, um, for my number nine, I have Gizmo from Gremlins. So let that be a lesson as to how loose of a genre term I'm willing to go with this. But yeah, um, my number nine is uh, Gizmo from Gremlins. Uh, honestly, I think he's just one of the most adorable cute little cuddly things that i personally want to own myself and uh the very fact that he's in one of my favorite holiday horror films of all time and i i absolutely love holiday horror films it's one of my personal favorite go-tos is uh you know i i, I love the holiday season and uh, the, the genre fair in general and the idea that you know you have a family comedy pretty much essentially just with you know this thing that comes to life and just goes crazy and you know starts attacking people but the fact that he's become like the 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 icon for like the holiday season and you know like outside of maybe like a santa slasher or something it's always gremlins is like the 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 big thing you see and to me the the fact that he sort of represents like the entire genre and the the entire sort of state of holiday horror as a whole uh I, I kind of look at him as like one of the figureheads of that for that reason. And like I said, just, you know, like my own personal interest is just, you know, having him as my own personal pet. Uh, I, I put that as a, you know, another little bonus, uh, just kind of weird and awkward that you had your choice at number eight for your number 10. And my number nine is kind of, you know, another comedy first film rather than horror. But uh, yeah, my number nine is Gizmo. It's a good choice. I remember seeing that in theaters. Um, and I think one of the reasons this movie is so brilliant is how how much it plays with emotion. And 
quickly goes from cute and adorable to riotously funny to having absolute actual moments of of um of horror in it and uh i remember there, there being it was one of those movies that that got us a pg-13 rating because so many parents took their kids to see it and then were shocked that you blew up the gremlin in the microwave um and i've always loved joe dante um and that dark humor so yeah that's uh a really good choice i'm blanking on the name of the comedian who, who voiced him um which i shouldn't um no I, I can picture it. no 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 uh no it's um the guy that used to host um uh oh was it that not let me make a deal but um wow oh, shoot this is going to annoy me because it's not key luke because he's in the film as the main guy right um and... yeah um uh, yeah, I'm pulling up the IMDb thing right now because that yeah that kind of Howie Mandel. That's it. Oh, okay, yeah, Howie Mandel. I, who, yeah, I... who did the voice for Gremlins for more for 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 Gizmo? Uh, so yeah, it's a really good choice. Um, so sticking with the the non monster non villain on my list, um, for my number nine, uh, I I took my my hero figure. Um. And Ash probably would be my runner up, but there is one man that uh, I think represents the uh, heroic ideal to which I aspire to a man who just is cynically doesn't give a fuck anymore. I'm sorry. Can I curse on here? Oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay. Just, um, uh, and, uh, and that is uh, McCready from the thing. Nice. Uh, I mean, Kurt Russell is is himself an icon. Uh, has starred in a couple of uh, genre-related films, and the thing is one of my top three films of all time. Um, I was at a convention in uh, August, and there was a like a ten-year-old dressed up as McCready, which was hysterical. Uh, it's like because um, he had like this big fake beard on, and um, uh, he's just such a well, everybody in that film, I think, is gives a great performance, and he's just really into that role. And probably my favorite role of of all of Kurt Russell's uh, performances, and he's done a lot of great stuff. So uh, he kind of stands in as my uh, my uh, my hero character, um, or at least my male hero character uh, on this list. Nice. That's not a bad one. Um, I, I never really thought of McCready just because I, I in my first immediate thought when I did this was like franchises, series or like recurring characters. And so that mm-hmm. kind of just like immediately kind of drops, you know, like one shot characters that are like really kind of iconic. But yeah, I, I can get behind McCready. That's not a bad one. Um, well, and he's, he's not that iconic, which is why he's kind of hanging around nine. And why he's not going to be higher up on the list, but he is a personal favorite. The favorite gets him on the list, but I can't put him any yeah. higher. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Um, so moving on to uh, number eight, uh, this is a, a another kind of uh, figure that's uh, just as important to me, uh, just because um, what we were saying earlier about my connection and experience to the genre. Uh, this was uh, one of the first films that got me into uh, horror as a whole, and uh, I, I, I've talked about him on uh, several shows before, so it's not going to be a surprise uh, for my number eight. I went with Chucky. 
Um, specifically the Bride of Chucky look, because that is, um, ironically the very first horror film that, um, I, I really liked that I actually, I saw that I really liked. And that was the one that kind of kickstarted my interest. It wasn't the first one I saw, but it was the first one I saw that I really liked and was the one that kind of got me interested in going deeper and, uh, expose, ex you know, experiencing a little more than just, you know, like what was like the, the big, you know, the big tent poles that I sort of uh been exposed to but uh for me as a whole i don't see much of a lull in the franchise at all uh even with uh seed not really being that good uh, I, I still have a cheesy um i still have a che an appreciation for its cheesy approach and uh the, the, there's a little bit more going on than a lot of people give it credit for but uh, in lieu of uh, diving deep into it um i'll just leave it at that but yeah, as a whole, uh, you know, the, the franchise is still, uh, you know, viable. You know, the, the TV series especially has shown that there's tons of life left in the character. You have a, you know, iconic look. You have a great, you know, personality. You know, it's ironic to think that, you know, the guy has a personality. But, you, you know, over time, you definitely see him taking on a little bit more human, to human touches here and there, you know, Cracking wise, you, you know, giving him, you know, uh, uh, witty one-liners here and there, but the fact that he's lasted and has proven himself uh, time and over time and time again, and you know, experience exposure in various mediums, given himself, you know, a, a TV show, numerous sequels, and you know, like I said, my own personal connection to him being one of the first films that I saw that I actually thought to myself yeah maybe i should give you know these these kinds of uh, genre fare a chance and getting deeper into the the whole you know spectrum of the films overall um i went with chucky as my number eight good choice uh and i love brad Dorf. i love the fact that he has even though i mean he is stuck with that role for 30 years now a little more than that yeah, pretty uh, much because '88 was uh, the first one, so yeah, it's just it's coming up on 35, really. And I think Bride actually might be my favorite of the of the franchise because I think before that it was a it was a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek joke about you know take on on the slasher genre that had kind of worn out the joke after the third film because it was doing what most. I, I, sorry, that's Alexa. Just decided to chime in for some reason. Um, but uh, and and then I think Bride really reinvigorated the franchise, and it's been riding high. Giving him uh, Tiffany, I think, you know, worked just as well as giving the Joker Harley Quinn. So uh, yeah, that's a really good choice. Um, so my number eight. Um, and my last uh, heroic character on this list uh, would be my final girl. And um, uh, it's a character who has two of my top 10 films of all time, horror films of all time. Uh, and that would be uh, that would be Ripley from Alien and Aliens. And Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection and whatever else she's done that's been alien related that she's, she's had a, a hand in. Um, there's been a thing where they we, we talk about how you can have uh 
strong female characters in horror films now or in action films now. And Sigourney Weaver was kicking butt long before any of this was an issue. And uh, and and for some reason, nobody got upset by it either, uh, which you do get some uh, fragile egos have problems seeing strong action movies with women. But uh, yeah, but I think Sigourney Weaver is a, is a uh, specifically, I'm sorry, not the actress, the character, the character of Ripley is a great character in fiction uh, as a, a, a great movie star and movie role. And uh, yeah, stands in for my final girls. That's not a bad one. Uh, Ripley's um, an honorable mention on my end, uh, just because um, as you said, Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection exists, but uh, hey, she got that basketball shot in Alien Resurrection. Right where she okay, yeah. Um, well, that's but, I mean that that she did that in one take. No CGI. Just yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, I'll give I'll give that one a little bit of a pass. But um, based on uh, Alien and Aliens, um, I I can make a just as strong a case for you um, as, for her um, essentially. But yeah, uh, she uh, became an honorable mention just because of the. I, I kind of dropped her because of, I'm not a fan of like the last entries in the franchise, but yeah. overall, I I only see the merit with her. I definitely appreciate what she's did, in, you know, especially with Aliens, where she becomes the female action hero and sort of providing this prototype for what's come since. And, you know, like the fighting female, the, you know, take charge, you know, lead the way kind of a figure that we, you know, everybody keeps saying that they want, but everybody just thinks, well, let's just slap a machine gun in them. And that's, you know, our female action hero instead of what we see with her in, in aliens, you know, she actually still displayed more, you know, thought and tact and procedure went through, went through with what she did more than anything else. But it, yeah, uh, on the merits of Aliens and Alien, I would probably put her in the list, but based on Alien 3 and Resurrection, I kind of dropped her to honorable mentions. Well, I'd also say, even in Alien, um, Sigourney Weaver was a nobody. Um, you didn't know watching that movie. You were watching Ripley as the star of the film, and that she was going to be the survivor. Um, or is it clear she's the star of Aliens? But she has moments, right, where, like, uh, when they're bringing um, uh, John Hurt back onto the onto the uh, onto the ship, and she's refusing to let them in before I think it was was it Tom Skerritt who, who who opens the door and lets them in. And if they just listened to Ripley, they all would have survived, right? Like she kept, she was trying to keep them quarantined. You know, she was a character that they they were perfectly comfortable making her this strong second in command. Not written as a female character. None of the characters were apparently gendered in the original script, and it was just write the part and cast whoever you cast. And um, you know, and she ended up getting that part. So you have a very strong, well, strong character there. Um, who, honestly, I can see a lot of audiences not liking because she was making some tough and correct calls at the beginning of the film, and then ends up being our our final girl. Yeah, uh, I, I I enjoy your character work in Alien more than Aliens, but it, yeah, I, I mean the eternal debate over you know 
who actually fully started the final girl, her or Laurie Strode or Nancy or, you know, whatever, you know, slasher villain from the 80s you want to throw in. I, I definitely see the merit behind it. And I don't know if you're ever really going to get a, a full genuine consensus on it, uh, especially with the way that the generation types to, you know, never not accept, you know, any kind of, you know, formal formality in the in discussion. But yeah, it's definitely one that I, I do enjoy and I, I do appreciate. Like I said, she's an honorable mention for me just based on the merits of two films that kind of drag down the, the quality of the two that should have put her on my list because of the because of those factors. But yep. yeah. But like I, I think it, yeah. Go ahead. No, I think a lot of our higher art guns have starred in a lot of crappy films. Um <laughs> It's at some point. Um, very, again, very few franchises have a really solid track record. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just as far as an iconic character, it still stands. So yeah, I'll keep her up there. But I understand your point. Not bad. All right. So uh, moving on to uh, my number seven. Uh, this one was kind of a hard one to uh, fully decide on just because um, I never really knew where to slot him. And uh, this is one of the the big genre icons, one of the, the main figureheads in the scene. Um, I, I went with Dracula, but I, I never knew which one to slot him in. And that was kind of uh, part of the, my eternal debate is, am I slotting him because of Lugosi or am I slotting him in because of Lee? And personally, I, I like Lee's um films more but i like lugosi's um acting more and like you know that was kind of where i was always like you know debating like am i sliding him in for which one of you know like which one am i putting him in and that was kind of why i kept him a little bit lower on the the list but if we go by the lugosi one just the magnetism and the you know the sheer gravitas that he has you see just an absolute i i shudder to word enjoyment but there's just a life to him that a vampire really shouldn't have you know just the way that he moves within the scene the way that he interacts with van helsing or harker or you know he's trying to put the moves on you know mina and lucy and all them but the, the way that he moves within them to try to throw them off the game, even though Van Helsing is obviously aware from the very beginning, com- contrasts so well with how Lee approached the character and just, you know, the ferocity and the animal presence of just, no, they're mine, I want your blood. And just almost like throwing the entire charade away just to just for the sheer will of trying to get as much human blood as humanly possible. It, I, I see Lee as being more of a horror character just because of the ferocity and the animal presence that he has. But yet I, I appreciate what Lugosi did and the layered magnetism and the, the sheer cunning that he brought to it. And just sort of like the yin and the yang of how they, the, the, the differences between how they approached it and where they came from. Yeah, to me, it was kind of really, I, I didn't want to separate the two, so I kind of combined them into one, and uh, I kind of saw them here as a result. So uh, my number seven, I have Dracula. Well, 
Dracula is on my list, specifically Lugosi's Dracula, so, uh, but a bit higher up. So I don't know, should I talk about that now or wait till it, I, I get uh, to that you, spot on my list? Yeah, you can probably just say, uh, yeah, he's on my list and I'll talk about him then. Okay, although I'm going to repeat, I think, a lot of the things that you just said. So, yeah, so we'll re we'll, I'll discuss him more when we get a little higher up. Uh, so, um, now my number seven on the list um, is a more recent vintage, though that my not my most recent entry. Um, and this one is a, a definitely hinted uh, for personal reasons, too. Uh, and that is the character of Captain Spaulding from House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and briefly Three from Hell, uh, played by the, uh, depending on your point of view, the iconic uh, Sid Haig. Um, I absolutely love Devil's Rejects and, and very much enjoy House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, I have a, uh, also have a Funko pop of Captain Spaulding sitting on my desk at work, and it's how I can tell which of my students are A, uh, real horror fans and B, which ones have parents that don't care what they watch because they can recognize him. Uh, but I've actually enjoyed the fact that he's kind of, um, which is, I'm going to be repeating this for the next character on my list as well, but uh, it's kind of grown up from being uh, from a niche horror film that only the horror fans knew to people recognizing the character from they don't know who he is or what movies he's in. Um, and uh, the, one of the reasons he's up there uh, is that uh, I am the state representative for uh, the Scares of Care charity organization, and he was a huge supporter of that organization. And I would see him every year uh, at our uh, annual event in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, very, very nice guy. I got to spend about 20 minutes with him at a, a VIP thing uh, when I was first getting into the podcasting in um, Horror Realm in Pittsburgh. And he was in, um, he has a, a side gig as a uh, hypnotherapist and he was just kind of holding court with a bunch of us fans and talking about hypnotherapy. Uh, so there's absolutely a personal bias there uh, because my love for an effect for the actor, uh, but I also just love the character and the, you know, I guess if you want to throw in the, the scary clown character from horror, you could say maybe he's a stand in for that. But um, just the idea that he's this guy who you know, has this very much take no shit attitude that he didn't seem like the rest of the family who were just out and out villains. He felt more like the Porsche mock who married into this family and has to deal with their, their shenanigans. Uh, but damn it, it's his family. And if he has to murder your ass to, to, to keep them out of trouble, he's going to do it. Um, so yes, that's Captain Spaulding from, uh, that's my number seven. Uh, yeah, um, he was, uh, he was somebody that I had considered, but, um, he kind of fell off at the very end. Uh, but no, I, I, I do agree. He's uh, easily the best part of, um, at least the first two, but yeah, and that, that's not a bad choice. Uh, yeah, he kind of fell off for me, but um, I, I definitely appreciate and enjoy um, a lot of his work. So, yeah. Um, moving on to uh, my number six. Uh, this one may be a, uh, a slightly under uh, under the radar one, but uh, this is just my own personal preference. A uh, uh, character that uh, appeals to me quite a bit. Um, uh, like I said, I'm a huge fan of this scene and uh, the genre overall. But uh, I chose the Gillman from Creature from the Black Lagoon. 
Um, probably a bit too high for something like this, but uh, I, I grew up on these kinds of films. Um, I, you know, as soon as I kind of got into the horror genre, like I said, uh, the 50s, 60s, 70s were a, a kind of like the, the scene that really got me in and really kind of, you know, the, the stuff that I kind of gravitated the most to once I, I fully embraced the genre. But, uh, you know, three films kind of, you know, a little disappointing that we don't have more. But one, uh, you know, for several other factors, I'll, uh, one, uh, each of the films are really good. Uh, even the sequels, even, you know, they don't touch the original, but they're all fun in their own little way. Uh, two, each of them kind of, uh, they don't really screw with the style. They keep the, the, they keep the look, they keep the same, you know, general design, you know, I don't care who you are, you know, anybody worth their salt that loves classic horror as, you know, some kind of variation or poster or tattoo of him, you know, so, you know, the, the look is absolutely, you know, recognizable, if not, you know, necessarily like one of the most, you know, easily associated with the genre, you're going to see, you know, the look. Uh, especially because number three, there's so many spoofs and ripoffs and imitations of this look and design that you may not necessarily know it's Gilman, but you recognize, okay, it's like an amphibious sea creature. Like you see the character spoofed and everything from like Scooby-Doo to, um, you know, uh, the Guillermo del Toro one. Um, Shape of Water? Shape of Water, there so yeah, uh, the fact that you know he's not—you may not necessarily know the name, but you you recognize the face definitely. Uh, like I said, my own personal preference because I'm a huge fan of the scene. Kind of maybe put him up a little higher than he deserves, but uh, yeah, um, uh, kind of have a couple of other factors going for him. Uh, number six for me is the Gilman. He did not make my list, and it pained me to, to, to keep him off. He would be an honorable mention. Uh, and the reason simply being that if I put him and another character on my list, my list would have been way too heavy with universal uh, horror characters, and I didn't want to want to do that. Uh, I absolutely love his design. He's one of my um, uh, all-time favorite monster designs. I also really enjoyed his redesign. I think it was by Stan Winston in Monster Squad. Um and well, he only has his three films. Um, yeah, you can throw in things like Shape of Water or Abe Sapien from the Hellboy films, uh, and Monster Squad, and you know, as as and Uncle Charlie, I think it was from from the Monsters, uh, was basically Gilman in a trench coat. Um, and unlike a lot of the the Universal characters like Dracula and Frankenstein, and you know, the, the Wolfman, who were legends and that existed before the films this pretty much created an icon out of whole cloth um there i don't believe there was a fish man character in the public consciousness the way vampires and and uh, uh werewolves were and i'm sure you yeah you could bring up you know like hp lovecraft and but you know how much the general public knew that so yeah you just just dragged in so i have great respect for it. and the the being able to do that suit in that time period is is just amazing. I still think that film holds up really well over 50 years later. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, that was sort of like where 
that was like some of the ver the very first stuff that I, I really got into just, you know, by association of, you know, my other giant monster movie phase. So a lot of those kinds of films really stood out and, uh, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And I, I actually uh, I also have a lot of love for the sequel Revenge. But yeah, the the original is still, I, I think, one of, if not the very best universal films. And I would easily put that one up against you know any frankenstein or you know dracula or mummy film that the studio ever did is like one of the tent poles that they they kind of created just i mean like you said the the scenes of it swimming through the water just looking up at her and you know following her movements just i i, I mean they're beautiful and you you're not supposed to think that they are but right you know there's just this elegance to it and you know the creation the the you know design everything just kind of comes together and it just you know it makes them you know you know cool but yet you know you also kind of feel sympathy for him as well just by you know you take him out of his element and you make him a show dog you know there's not necessarily you know a more tragic or you know sympathetic story than that of you know taking a guy out of his home and putting him on display for you know the world at large and seeing him do tricks so yeah uh to me it's one of my favorites and uh you know maybe he's a bit high but you know like personal preference kind of played a little bit of a role in that one so uh yeah my number six is uh gilman no i think he's perfectly fine i think you can make an argument for him being higher um like I said, it's just amazing. That certainly would have been the time when underwater photography was brand new. Scuba technology was relatively new, you know, and they somehow incorporate all that into that suit design. Um, and, you know, it, it's, yeah, it, it, I have a tremendous amount of affection for the character. And it was basically just because I was trying not to overload my list was the only reason he didn't, uh, didn't make it on mine. Um, so my number six, um, is probably is is the most recent character on my list. You've actually mentioned him already, and uh, for a film that came out, I think in 2009, and uh, for me was like an instant icon. I fell in love with it immediately. It just seemed like absolutely perfect uh, because it captured uh, the the spirit of the season, and uh, that was uh, Sam from Trick or Treat. And uh, that's another one I have on my desk at work. Um, and that's one I'm very thrilled now has his own section in spirit of Halloween. When you walk in the store and I see little Sam's parading up and down the hallway at the Halloween parade. And I've just always loved that design because it's this mischievous little thing with a knife behind his back. Um, the enforcer for the spirit of Halloween. I think he works so well as that holiday Santa Claus. Nice. Uh, my number five is Sam from Trick or Treat. <laughs> well, there you go. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the, the very fact that, uh, you know, this guy is just sort of taken the genre by storm and you initially never even really got much on him because, you know, he's, you know, he's a background character in most of the segments and then he's the the villain in the final piece. But and, you know, the fact that, you know, that's all we really got on him because very few saw the short that he that he's, you know, he appeared in sort of on the, the concept of the, the feature film. But, you know, to become associated so closely with the speed, the season and, you know, 
you see him everywhere. You see him, you know, in any, you know, memes, in, you know, tattoo designs. You know, like you said, there's toys made of him. You know, there's costumes made of for him. You know, I, I've even seen pets dressed up like him. And, uh, you know, you, you see, you know, like the dog's head sticking out with a candy cane on the side, just, you know, like bouncing along. I mean, the fact that he's taken all that and it's only from one film, uh, to me, I, I think that kind of just speaks so well to, you know, just the design, the performance, the, you know, like you said, the the mischievous nature that he has to where, you know, he seems friendly, but then, you know, there's that knife behind his back that, you know, you're just waiting, you know, he's just, you're just waiting for him to unleash on, you know, those who deserve it. But yeah, um, I, I have a huge amount of love and respect for him. And uh, yeah, he's uh, my number five. Cool. Um, yeah. God bless capitalism. <laughs> Definitely. Even at the design out there. Um yeah, it's 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 just like I said, it makes me very happy to see uh, see him embraced by the public like that. So uh, my number five, um, some horror fans may be shocked that he's this low on the list. Uh, of all the '80s horror icons, um, this is he's the one that's probably my favorite, and he's I think probably because he's the one that even though is really the villain of the franchise, he works best as an anti-hero character. Um, and that would be uh, Jason Voorhees. Uh, specifically for me, I, I particularly like the look of the like three and four where he's, um, he's got his hockey mask, but he's not like the rotting corpse yet either that we see in the later films. Um, but there's just something I've always enjoyed about the character. I don't think the majority of films are terribly good in the objective view, meaning they're not well-written, well-acted, or well-directed most of the time, but they're fun. And um, he's a fun character who just murders the shit out of people in fun and inventive ways. And um, because of the character's background, even though he does all this horrible stuff, you can have some empathy for him in a way that you really shouldn't for, say, Freddy Krueger. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's out of all those like those 80s icons, he's he's at the top of my list. Um, well, that's not, I take that back because the next one is from the 80s, but it's like the, the big ones, like the, the Mount Rushmore of higher icons. Uh, he's 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 probably my favorite of those, so he stands in for that. Nice, yeah. Um, we will d- discuss him at a later time. Awesome. So, yeah. Um, so moving on to uh, my number four, um, we're gonna you know uh, you know get into the big guys uh, here, um, and this is probably the one that uh, I. I like the least which uh it kind of feels like a weird thing to say but um as much as i appreciate the character and as much as i love you know the performance uh, i i have to take the films into consideration and i i went with freddie um yeah england is fun it's great to see him let loose you know the the transformation from just, you know, the creepy stalker that, you know, is just there lurking in the background and is ready to do malicious things to you. 
I, I, I don't know if the character would have survived if they kept him that way. Uh, I, I know that, you know, changing him up and turning him into the jokester, the anti-hero, like you said, you know, the, the guy that you want to see do his thing more than seeing the people stop him or, you know, get killed or you know, however, you know, whichever term you want to use. But uh, as much as it pains me to want to watch the films because of England, the fact that I don't like the majority of the films, uh, it, to me, that kind of weighs a little bit um, in, in terms of where I see him as an icon, because is he, is he really, you know, that big of a character if I don't think the movies are good enough for me to keep watching them frequently? Like, that to me kind of plays a little bit of a of a role here. And that's kind of where I, I end up falling with him, at least in terms of the big four. I think of him as kind of like the weakest of the of four, just, be, just because I don't think of the, the films that he's in are good enough to warrant them being around as long as he has. But the fact that, you know, he he's probably one of, if not, you know, the most recognizable figure, you know, you'd tell anybody to like draw horror, you know, like draw a big horror icon figure and, you know, you give him like a couple of names and he's going to be one of the first ones that they spot. You know, there's so much merchandise, God, so much merchandise, but, you know, the, the spoofs, the, you know, pop culture you know pop-ups and cameos and guest spots that he's done uh to me that still plays a, a lot here uh it, it still you know rings true pretty highly so um i, I went with uh freddy for my number four yeah i have a, a lot of affection for the nightmare on elm street films i i actually think um for me my favorite is probably the third film uh, which I think kind of got that balance of character and horror right. Uh, I think by the time you get to six, it's gone way too far into the comedy. Um, I enjoyed his turn in Freddy versus Jason and the the, the reinvention of the character in New Nightmare, um, even though it's not my favorite interpretation of it. Uh, yeah, but I think he, he definitely deserves to be. He's, he's, I, I don't know if it's him or Freddy or, or Jason who is the biggest icon of the 80s um who is the bigger horror icon and who endures but certainly they're up at the top you know they they are um they are representative of that era uh and more so than i think michael or leatherface or uh or chucky or any of the other or characters um they stand a little bit above that and just and i think it says something though in terms of their icon status that they surpass the films right they're larger than the films and the stories they were originally in Right. That was sort of like where I was saying where, you know, you get so many, you know, one shot appearances where you see, you know, somebody wanting to, you know, well, let's, you know, do like this horror parody and they get like a Freddy Krueger stand in or they, you know, spoof one of the sequences in one of the films. And, you know, the fact that they're playing off of the fact that, you know, we're supposed to as normies not necessarily horror fans but you know just like this regular joe schmo on the street that has very little horror you know knowledge at all that they're directly spoofing this one film and you know they're expecting you to know it speaks so much about how much he crossed over and you know the like i said the, the cultural impact and the you know i i guess you know impact is kind of a weird word to use but just you know how prominent and how much of a figurehead that he's become because of 
the films, you know, you can say Freddy Krueger and you'd know what's going on more than you say Nightmare on Elm Street. Like if you you say to a fan, you know, a regular person on the street, you know, like Freddy Krueger, they'd know what's going on. If you said Nightmare on Elm Street, you may get a few puzzled looks and then they finally they may put the piece together and realize, oh, Freddy, they would know him more than they would the name of the franchise that he's from. So that's kind of where I was going for. Right. Same way. I think a lot of people don't know uh, that. The movies that. Jason Voorhees are in are largely the Friday the 13th films, and they're not the Jason films. You know, at least not right. until the, the last three. Um, yeah, I, I he had one I, I kind of cut off my list at the last minute. And part of it is just because I think as much as I like the character, I just don't love him as much as I used to. Maybe it's just because of overexposure. Um, and but and and then you said, but you just had Jason on your list. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not saying this makes any sense logically whatsoever. This is totally subjective. It's and my personal emotions are factoring into it, and you can't explain emotions. So uh, not easily. So other than you know serotonin, but uh, so yeah, so he's a he's a he's a good choice. And then um, so I'm actually going to go with another '80s horror icon, and he's there for a couple of reasons. One, I absolutely love the the uh, original film. I don't mind the the sequels, even though a lot of them are widely regarded as Drek. Uh, they're they're better than I thought they were going to be when I went in to watch them. Uh, I just love the design of the character. Um, I love the performance of the actor, and I've also happened to been able to interview the actor a couple of times, and have great respect for him. So that certainly colors my opinion. Uh, and that is uh, the uh, lead Cenobite from uh, Clive Barker's Hellraiser series, and that's Pinhead. Nice. Uh, yeah, he he was uh, one of my honorable mentions uh, just because he kind of fell victim to that. Well, the films are direct, so that kind of like you know colors my disdain for him a little. But yeah, um, I I absolutely love him as well. So I'm definitely on board with your love of him him as well. And it's just a design I could stare. That whole first film, the makeup I think is fantastic um andy robinson is frank is you know with his um you know the flesh stripped off i, I think is, is brilliant uh actually it's not andy robinson it's probably frank instead but anyway um but uh but it just there's something about pinhead it's a, just a disturbing design i still prefer that design to the the new one that just came out which isn't a bad performance i think they do a serviceable job taking doug bradley's place uh but i just the, the look is too monotone uh, because they're not wearing the black leather the way Pinhead is. And just something about that that's dark contrast works for me. Um, or maybe it's just that's just too ingrained and it, it work, reads as being wrong. So that just may be my bias. But I just it's the look of the character really is just and with the, the pins in the head. And it just that movie hit when I was um, 17, 18 years old. And so that whole idea of. Uh, Twisted sexuality, um, like was just something I'd never seen before. Certainly something you wouldn't have seen in the eighties in, in a pop culture way. You know, everything now is so out there. It's hard to shock people. And it was much more shocking, uh, 40 years ago, um, or 30 years ago. So, uh, that definitely left an impression too. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, uh, just because I, I have such disdain for the rest of the franchise, I kind of colored it, but 
uh based on the impact of the original just you know the sheer magnitude and you know just brilliance of the design as a whole i would probably say this is my personal favorite design in the entire genre just you know yeah just the overall look of him is just something you don't see every day just otherworldly and yet terrifying but yet you can't look away from him um if we were going by look just like the sheer design uh i i would have a very strong case of him being one or two for me uh yeah, the, the the overall just like look and design of it, not taking any other factors into the equation, but just look. Um, Pinhead for me is one of the top two. So uh, moving on to uh, my number three. Uh, this one was kind of, uh, I, again, this kind of had my, uh, my Dracula uh, conversation here. Like, which one do I go with? Um, it kind of uh, spoiled what my choice may be, but um, I went with Frankenstein. And uh, I, I should, you know, further clarify again, Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. The, you know, that eternal debate, you know, I'm going to be that kind of a guy that's, you know, you're going to hammer it home. It's the monster. But uh, it's just, you know, the, the fact that he's become so relevant based on, you know, yeah, you can maybe say Bride is kind of, you know, just as um, iconic, but just working off of one film and the the way that it was designed, the way that it looks, the way that that stood the test of time and has become some, you know, you, you, you slap it on cereal boxes, you slap it in kids cartoons, you know, you spoof it in sitcoms, you, you, you know, you put it on any kind of merchandise you want it's become iconic it's become recognizable it's become you know fear parody what you know ridicule whatever you want to talk about but it's still remained to this day one of the you know central figures that represents the genre as a whole and you can you know make an argument whether or not the the, the films you know, whichever one of the films you want but uh, for me, the original Karloff version is, you know, just absolutely masterful, and it it still remains to this day. So, uh, yeah, uh, for me, number three is Frankenstein, or Frankenstein's monster. I'll get to that myself in a in a moment. Um, so and, my my number three is going to revisit one earlier from your list, which is Dracula, specifically Lugosi's Dracula. Um, I think Dracula is a character they have not in my opinion, gotten right quite since, to me, since Lugosi. And, you know, you, you said it well, that it's a magnetic performance. I can only imagine, you know, being there in 1930 or 31, um, that he would have been like, hit like Hannibal Lecter did in, uh, or, and, or Heath Ledger's Joker did, because he is this just magnetic fascinating portrait of evil um lee is absolutely ferocious but for me he he doesn't get a chance to be a character enough in those films he doesn't get to play dracula enough he doesn't get enough dialogue in the hammer films and i I have huge affection for lee he could only do so much he wasn't writing the movies he couldn't force them to give him more to do um and i have no doubt he could have been able to do what Lugosi did in many ways, but he never was given the opportunity. And then after that, 
I think they leaned way too heavily in the romance, you know, whether it's Frank Langella or Gary Oldman or any number of the other Draculas that have been out there. Lugosi just has this look where he is regal, he is noble, he is romantic, but there's always something predatory about him. There's, to me, there's always something dangerous. I am not a fan of Browning's Dracula. Um, I've rewatched it many times and revisited many times to see if it changes my opinion. And I just don't think his films hold up as well as James Whale's films. I think the Frankenstein films, I think um, Invisible Man hold up by, by way better than most of the early Universal films. Um, but Dracula makes such a huge difference. Bela Lugosi's Dracula makes such a huge difference in the portrayal of that character because it gets to me that mix of the uh, of that seductive dangerous and part of the theme of the character foreigner nailed just nailed down perfectly and um and yeah there's a reason why his image has survived and you can't have somebody dress up as a vampire without having to pencil in a, a widow's peak on top of their head, right? Or wearing a cape with a, a, a collar on it. Um, it's just, he's defined the look. He's defined the character. There are a lot of other great vampires we've had. Uh, I love Chris Sarandon in uh, in Fright Night or uh, Barlow in Salem's Lot or, for that matter, Orlock in um, uh, Nosferatu. But Dracula is the iconic vampire, right? So, and I think Lugosi nails it in a way nobody else has. Couldn't have uh, said it any better myself. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, like you said, said many of the same things. So uh, we're definitely on board with that. So going on. I said you pretty much, I was going to basically repeat what you said. So, yeah. So uh, for my number two, um, I, I go back and forth between uh, these two. It should be pretty obvious now where um, which one's going to be based on, you know, which one's number two. But uh, I, I, I really struggled with this one just because one is it I, I is it iconic more because the films are good. Or is that iconic because the look is iconic? And that was really kind of where I I, stro- I fell in with this one. And why I slot in at number two, Michael from the Halloween series. So, yeah, he would probably, I can probably make a case, you know, maybe outside of the most recent ones. But I can make a case that, you know, maybe he's in better movies. But I, I can't really say that the look has really changed and the fact that he's kind of remained the same you know you you maybe change up the actors you maybe change up the build but you don't really change the character too much yeah you can make a you know whatever motivation you can use to you know justify the rampage whatever you know we can sit here and debate that until kingdom come but if you remove all of those factors the fact that you know you still have just you know the the simplified look of this one guy who just wears this plain white mask and just goes around with a knife and kills people it's a simple idea but it's one that's remained you know in the zeitgeist for 40 years and 
you, you haven't really changed much. Like I said, you maybe changed the actors, you know, but other than that, you haven't really changed much. And to me, that kind of is, it shows what, you know, a great idea that he was to begin with. And, you know, you can speak whatever, you know, you want about, you know, the creators and, you know, whatever figurehead you have at the forefront, you know, steering the ship for the films. But, you know, he's been around for 40 years for a reason. And, you know, he hasn't changed his look that much. And uh, to me, that kind of says something. So uh, for my number three, uh, my number two, uh, I went with Michael. Good choice. Um, I did not put him on my list kind of out of spite uh, and bitterness. <laughs> uh, I, of all the, the major horror franchises, and we could split hairs as to what we think it's major, but whether uh, Texas Chainsaw and Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street and so forth, Halloween is probably my, is not probably, is definitely my favorite entry out of any of those films. But then I think they lost the character immediately after that because they had to bring him back for a sequel and they had to give him motivation and it's you know the idea of him just being evil for the sake of being evil that he was just a remorseless killer um that he was the shape not michael myers um i think they lose it and it's probably why i'm more forgiving of some of the the, the more recent sequels which had some i still think awful writing um but it's because I've given up on them trying to get the character right. It's very easy, I think, to get Jason right because, you know, he just kills people. And then it's that I think Freddy, it's, it's because it's had one actor playing it. Um, it's all variations on a tone, but they've been pretty consistent. Uh, I just feel I think Zombie missed the point of the character. Um, I think they kind of started to get back to it in in the new trilogy and that those weren't the greatest films. Um, if Michael was still the Michael as he was really envisioned, he probably would be higher on my list. Um, and that version of Michael is up there. Plus, of course, the fact that he's wearing the face of the uh, greatest actor who's ever lived, which is William Shatner. Um, but yeah, I just I just couldn't quite bring him there, and I don't have the same affection for him and as I do for for Jason, which is one of the reasons he did not make my list. But um, mm. so, um, and I've been going back and forth uh, on my number one and number two. Um, and my number two is by far, I think, my favorite design in the genre. Um, from a franchise I've already mentioned, and this is again sort of like we mentioned with Pinhead. Um, this is just a a, a design I could look at for hours. There's actually many variations on it because of the various sequels and so forth, and I kind of have some affection for most of them. And uh, that is the uh, the alien from Alien or from Aliens or Alien 3 or Alien Resurrection. Uh, alien from Alien is probably the best, but I also really like the redesign Cameron did in the sequel. Um, I like the alien queen. I like the entire species of aliens. Um, I, I don't like calling them xenomorph because that's just a generic term meaning alien. Um, I've never considered that a proper name for the creature. And I kind of prefer it just being a nameless creature. Um, but uh, I just think it's a beautifully grotesque design um, of this giant black sinewy creature with a massive penis head with another penis in its mouth. Uh, uh, it's just such a weird and wonderful design. And 
uh, probably part of my love for that is the fact that when I was nine years old, my parents got me the uh, 12 inch Kenner alien action figure, which I, so I'd had that before I'd ever actually seen the film. Um, and I th just think it's a magnificently elegant creature. I don't think anyone's designed anything quite like it. And despite a lot of people having tried and, and that even goes to Geiger, you know, uh, you know, I don't like we did like Sill from Species and just never quite captured that weird aesthetic, um, that unearthly aesthetic that that he did with that. Yeah, uh, I I kind of uh, I pretty much felt the same way with uh, the Xenomorph or Alien as I did with Ripley, where if we based it off of the first films in the franchise, I would absolutely put them on the list just because, you know, I, again, it's just this absolutely masterful and just, you know, incredible look. But then they don't really do a lot with it. So that would kind of, it dropped it off my list for that reason. But uh, if we base it off of the quality of the films, then I would, you know, especially the first two, I would definitely put them on the list for sure. I'm definitely right there with you. All right, so I think it's time for the number ones. Uh, yeah, uh, so um, this one probably shouldn't be much of a surprise based on uh, my previous comments, but um, uh, he's always been the franchise that I've uh, stuck around with the longest. I've always been the most forgiving with the uh, majority of the entries there. But, uh, you know, what can I say? You know, he gets me. Um, I like to see stupid people and idiots die cruel deaths, and he dispenses for me and uh, you know uh he does it in you know spectacularly creative ways which you know helps but uh he has uh you know the the simple look uh you can change it up with whatever actor you want underneath but uh it's hard for me to go against uh mr Voorhees. so yeah my number one is jason um I, I, again, I, I struggle with which one do I want because if I go by preference, I would, you know, I would be like you. I would probably have three or maybe four. But if I go by which one, if I would to just pick a look, I would probably go with the design in seven. I, I like the the rotting, decomposed, you know, look there. I think that's the one that they got them. If I saw that look, I would probably be the most impressed by it. Uh, I'd probably you know, also be shitting myself. But um, if, if you stood him next to him, if you stood him on a row and uh, showed him one by one, I'd probably pick the one in seven the most, just based on you know the effectiveness of the makeup, you know the, the zombified skin, all the battle scars and wounds that they have, you know, depicted on his face. The rotting skeleton you know the bones sticking through and you know tattered clothing and all that but overall if i would go by which one uh, as a film i liked more i would probably go with the third or fourth one just you know the the savageness the absolute you know just human, you know the humanity behind you know that speaks to me and you know, like I said, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I, I, I absolutely find his uh, motivations and uh, behavior justified. Uh, you know, I definitely sympathize with what he does and uh, approve. Um, 
if that can be uh, you know described for you know the mass murder of uh, various people but uh the you know it's hard for me to go against that one and it, maybe if i you know if i put it up on the sorry about that but um yeah if i go by uh you know where i stand with the films uh maybe would probably drop but uh for me it's hard to go against jason so yeah my uh number one i do think again because of his background um uh, like yeah freddie was also killed by by people but he was a child killer you know he, he had it coming <laughs> you could argue all you want about vigilante action and how wrong it is and that's fine but I, that doesn't forgive Freddie, right? He's still a scumbag. Um, where Jason was an innocent kid. Um, like I said, I think the movies are a mess. You know, don't try to make sense of it. You know, when did Jason actually die? Did he drown? Did he not drown? How did he, the kid who drowned, grow up to be a seven foot tall hulking monster? Um, every movie, there's this final way to, no, this time really we're going to kill Jason for real. And nope, he's back the next time. And um, it doesn't matter. Just, just turn your brain off, roll with it, have fun, and watch him kill some fools. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he's, and I think all the designs work. You know, whether you're talking about the sackhead Jason from Jason Two, uh, you know, to uh, you know the zombie Jasons as he sort of rots and decays later on. I actually like the fact that if the film series progresses, they try their best to keep, um, at least to the first eight, to to keep like the battle damage and the scarring whether it's the the crack in the mask from four and three and four going on and just watch his body deteriorate and his costume deteriorate from film after film but yeah it's no question uh, huge huge horror icon mm-hmm. uh, so then it's also should not be a surprise of my number one because i had also mentioned he was coming up later on my list uh and that is frankenstein uh by or frankenstein's monster i would argue that since you take the name of your father he would still be frankenstein um but um he's part of the family uh i absolutely love the the original book um the first time i ever got to be on the other side of the table at a uh, horror convention was giving a uh, panel discussion on the 200th anniversary of the publication of frankenstein um, I think Frankenstein is the best of the universal horror films, uh, or certainly my favorite. Um, and Harloff, and well, first you have the, the brilliant makeup. Uh, was it Jack Pierce was the makeup artist? Yes. Um, is brilliant. Um, makes good use of Harloff's unique body type, uh, accentuated by the fact that he took his 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 dentures out so it gives gives him that sunken look um that dead and you know the heavy eyelids and this dead look and of course the brilliant direction by um by whale um uh and like if i'm if i'm picturing to me horror or halloween which obviously the two go hand in hand you know what's the one character that i look at and makes me think of that immediately think of that season and i know i had sam on my list earlier and certainly is a great icon for halloween but really i think frankenstein still is kind of the the, the icon for the genre um and it's just such a rich story whether you look at the original story or the film and the fact that you have a monster 
who does do some monstrous things, but like Jason, you have empathy for like the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, it's I always think that people are surprised when they make these movies. They want people to root against the monster. And then they're surprised when people find how much sympathy they have for them. King Kong would probably be another example. Um, and so they get portrayed more sympathetically later on. Um, you know, Young Frankenstein being one of my favorite comedies of all time uh, is going back to number 10 on the list. Uh, but the Karloff look is just unmatched. And I think that's something that hangs over every iteration of Frankenstein afterwards is that nobody can quite do something that matches or even comes close to matching uh, the look of Karloff's creature. Um, you mentioned Christopher Lee earlier. Christopher Lee's first role, I believe, was was playing Frankenstein's monster. And he does fine, but it's not an iconic look, right? Yeah, because um, that one was, I, I think that was uh, before that they were... Uh, the, the before the copyright thing so they were able to they weren't able to you know incorporate the uh, elements from the original so i think that one they had to do their own and i don't think that they were able to uh use the frankenstein makeup that pierce did for karloff on lee um yeah and yeah, like i said just it's a fantastic design um it's a fantastic character a fantastic film and it, at this point you can't argue that he hasn't withstood the test of time yeah i mean he was uh, in my top three for that reason so yeah uh i i mean i you know can't say much more else than that but uh yeah uh, i'm definitely on board with you as one of the the big tentpole figures in the in the genre so yeah, uh, I guess uh, before we get out of here, do we have uh, any honorable mentions or uh, anything else you want to uh, bring up real fast? Um, well, some of my honorable mentions, ones that I'd strongly considered. I'm a big zombie fan. Um, and for me, my, my favorite zombie design ever is the Tar Man from Return of the Living Dead. Um, I love Burt Gummer from the the, uh, the Tremors franchise. Um tongue-in-cheek uh i from childhood i have to love the uh the various mascots from the monster series <laughs> count chocula frankenberry blueberry uh the fruit fruit and so forth yummy mummy uh peter vincent uh from uh fright night uh and then like the two universal monsters uh that i left off my list um but i really would have liked to put on there uh I thought four universal monsters would have been too many for a list of 10 were, were the creature and um, the Gilman and uh, Lon Chaney seniors Phantom of the Opera, mm. which if you've ever read Gaston Leroux's novel, he's another one where they nailed the look and they've never done it right. And it's the only one really that I think in that film, he's a villain and in the book, he's a villain. The character is a villain. He's a villain in love with somebody in a dark, twisted way because he's a villain. But I think so many iterations afterwards have turned him into, a, into an anti-hero. And that is not who the character is in my head, in my mind. And it's, it just keeps drifting further and further away from that original version of him. Um, the, the Broadway show gets that right, but doesn't quite 
grasp the look right. I think that that look also, it's one of the most, I remember seeing Cheney's appearance when I was a small child and just thinking it was absolutely horrific, uh, probably more horrific than any of the other images we had in the, the Universal series because got what Cheney did to his face in order to do that with wire rims in his eyes and plugs up his nose. So, uh, so yeah, those were on my, oh, and my favorite, uh, my favorite Scream Queen, not my favorite Final Girl, uh, would have, I actually would probably put down um, just as a character, but I can't say they're iconic, was uh, Patricia Arquette in Nightmare 3. Um, mm. up there. Nice, yeah. Um, I mean, we had a couple of uh, your choices on mine, uh, you know, Ripley, the alien, a um, couple of the other choices there, but uh, w the few that were left, um, I had Art the Clown, uh, the Terrifier one, um, would he be on the list in a few years with another film out? Maybe, but uh, at the moment, not right now. And uh, the other one that I had left, uh, you know, obviously the big one of the four would be uh, Leatherface. Just, uh, you know, I, I, I'd really like a good film from him uh, after, uh, you know, you get one or two good films. I, I'd really like to see another one before I make the, the claim that he's iconic. And uh, the last one... Uh, I, I really wanted another one of the Universal films, but I, I couldn't justify, you know, all four of them being on there. So I had to leave uh, the Wolfman out. But, uh, it, I, I probably could have put him in there, but, you know, I, I had all four of the Universal monsters in there. So I, I didn't really want to overload it that much. So he was the one that kind of fell by the wayside. But uh, definitely another, you know, big mass, you know, one of the, the original terrifying looks uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, that was a honorable mention. that kind of slipped through the cracks at the last minute, but um, yeah, I guess that uh, concludes everything. So uh, yeah. Oh, if I thanks. can, if I can have my controversial take is uh, I think one of the most overrated horror icons is the bride of Frankenstein because she's been yeah. posting on five minutes of screen time for, for, uh, for, for the last 90 years. Um, you know, she, and look, it, was, it is a brilliant makeup design, and Elsa Lancaster does a nice job in the few seconds of screen time she actually has. But it's just funny to me that this character, who barely existed on celluloid, is always put up on the same pedestal as ones that had to carry entire films. Yeah, um, I, I've never really been much of a fan of her to speak in with for that very reason. Um, you know, yeah, give me a little bit more and uh, maybe I'll take you into consideration. But, uh, you know, five minutes and you're justifying all of this because of it. Uh, kind of hard for me to, you know, put them up there against the the likes of the, the you know, the other classics for that reason. But, uh, yeah, um, this was a lot of fun. Thank you uh, so much for uh, yeah. joining me for this. No, it's good. It's it's just nice to be able to um, sit here and I feel just be very upbeat and positive about a thing. Um, with the Dark Discussions podcast, we do a lot of like this long discussions about films and picking apart the good and the bad. And we really try not to review movies that we don't like. Um, we steer clear of something that 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 has obvious warning signs as being stinkers because it's just miserable to sit around and just rip into a film i know some podcasts they just love to do that um and admittedly we have had fun when we accidentally stumbled into a bad one like the gallows was one that we just tore apart 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I like being upbeat. I like being positive. I like being able to talk about the things that we enjoy and and sing their praises and why and and kind of being forced maybe to think about why do we love them, you know? Um, which maybe is the case of overanalysis, but nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let everybody know where uh, they can find you and uh, ev- you know everything that you do. Uh, well, uh, my my online handle and my podcast name is Michael Darwin. You can find me on Facebook under Michael Darwin and Instagram under Michael Darwin. Um, but mostly, you can find me on the Dark Discussions podcast. Go to darkdiscussions.com. Um, it's actually now the Dark Discussion News Network. Uh, we've incorporated a whole bunch of other podcasts over the years into ours, as well as various spinoffs covering whatever the latest uh, TV shows that uh, our head honcho, Phil, chooses he wants us to do. Um, most recently, we did um, House of the Dragon, uh, where the, and the podcast is called Decimation of Dragons. And we did, uh, because Phil has this weird She-Hulk finish, uh, we did a podcast on the She-Hulk TV series, which was She-Hulk Avenger of the Law. Um, and then we also have the Cinema a la carte podcast that you can find me on, which uh, comes out sporadically based on when the, our schedules and when we can squeeze it in. And we're not involved in other projects where myself and Phil and the other co-host, Eric Webster, um, pick a film that's not horror to discuss that we really enjoy and would like to discuss. And that basically got started because there were films that were coming out that we wanted to talk about that didn't fit under the horror genre. Uh, but we've been around since 2011. We have cleared 500 episodes. I think we cleared 550 recently. I know I've lost track. Uh, and then when you throw in all the various spin-offs and other things, um, we're, we're well past that. But um, uh, And again, there's a whole suite of podcasts there. So if you don't like the main one, if you don't like the ones I'm on, I will not, I'll be heartbroken. But nevertheless, I'm sure you'll find something else you'd like to listen to. All right. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I will have everything linked in the uh, show notes down below for you to check out. And uh, uh, I've told this to Phil um, because he's guessed it on my show, but um, uh, I promote you guys because I'm one of the biggest fans of Dark Discussions. I absolutely love the format and uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, the show itself. So are you uh, yeah. having Phil on for the top 10 set of boobs on horror, on horror films? Uh, no, I tried to make him go classy, so uh, we're doing top ten Hitchcock. Ooh, very nice. I am Hitchcock. I'm not Hitchcock's not exactly a blind spot. I've seen Hitchcock. I've not seen nearly enough Hitchcock. I mean, I love Psycho. I love The Birds. Uh, actually, really enough, love The Trouble with Harry. Um, finally saw North by Northwest for the first time uh, last year, as uh, our which we do for New Year's. We all pick a movie that we've always oh, wanted that, to watch. Oh, that's right. I remember, yeah, because I, re- I remember somebody on the show had a Hitchcock one. that I, I I didn't know that one was you. I remember that one now. Not that you say it. So, yeah, and I I mean, I saw Vertigo many when I was in college, and I want to revisit it because I wasn't that thrilled with it the first time. Um, maybe I'll, I'll have a different appreciation for it now. Um, but then there's a whole lot that I, I would like to see that I haven't gotten to, and I own them. I just have to get around to watching them, and that's kind of one of the things that inspired me to suggest that as a recurring episode nice yeah um so yeah that um that'll be uh my episode with phil so cool. uh yeah look forward to that yeah we'll uh definitely have that one out there uh, as soon as we can much like this one so uh thank you for listening and we will see you next time <laughs>